Hi, it's your host Travis. Episode 5 has now been uploaded and you are now hearing my beginner's interviewing voice. I am surprised with the amount of listeners and the different countries, apart from Australia, that are regularly downloading the interviews, Spain, Sweden, the US and the UK. Once again, I want to say thank you for this support, as I truly appreciate it. I hope amongst my bumbling around, you, the listener, get an insight into the person on the other side of the microphone and the Illawarra's proud soccer-slash-football history. In terms of this episode's interviewee, I am always surprised, being a novice interviewer, by the way an interview unfolds. For this bloke, I thought we would get an insight into English professional football, the NSL as a player and coach in the 1980s, and the local Illawarra League as a player and coach. John Fleming brilliantly delivered on those points and added so much more, especially the theme of lifetime friendships, which does come through in the other episodes, but is slightly more prominent here. I must admit that I did not talk about all of John's soccer career in terms of playing and coaching, and for that I apologise. But I think the next 90 minutes is a good reflection on what he has achieved and given to the game in the Illawarra and England. Welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm uh, extremely uh, happy to have John Fleming here today. Um, Welcome John. Thank you very much Travis. I'll probably need to uh, beg and plead with you to do another two or three interviews. Uh, Your playing and coaching resume is uh, long and extensive. Um, I guess being an Australian soccer in particular Illawarra podcast. We want to focus on the Illawarra involvement um, with the NSL, with the Wolves, playing and coaching, and then and then the local leagues. But can we talk briefly about your, your career in England? You um, you played at Oxford United, Lincoln City, and, and a couple of games at, at Port Bar, over you know, 220 games, 20 goals. Um, even before we get there, can you tell us a bit about growing up, where you're from, and how you got to that point of being a professional footballer? Um, well, I was born in Nottingham, and um, my parents were Irish, so um, football, soccer wasn't really a, a, a primary thing with them. Um, but everybody played it, so I took to it very, very quickly. And um, I was playing for the school team at seven, uh, that's under 11s, and... Uh, I then went to grammar school and uh, played for the school team there. Then at about 12 or 13, I got a club team. And so basically I found myself playing Saturday morning for the school, Saturday afternoon for the club team, Sunday after, Sunday morning for the church team, and Sunday afternoon for the rep team. So wow. it was um, a pretty busy time for me, So from about 12 to 16. And I was always a very, very small and uh, I didn't really get noticed by many uh, professional clubs. And then I was fortunate to get picked in uh, England under-18 uh, boys clubs team, and I was only 16, just approaching 16, in fact. And uh, suddenly the club started looking at me, and I went for trials at Arsenal, uh, Derby, 
and uh, and Oxford, and um, Oxford at the time were in the second division, which is the Championship League now, and they had a playing staff of about 18 professionals, and they played in the football combination, the reserve league as well in London against Tottenham and uh, Arsenal and Chelsea. It was you know a, a very good opportunity for me. So uh, on my 17th birthday. I left left home and went to Oxford and signed for them. Uh, played regularly in the reserves for the first couple of months and the youth team, and uh, then they had a flu epidemic, and I got selected in first grade. and uh, I travelled up to Carlisle, played very well, and ended up playing I think 14 games that season. So it was um, it was a super start and. Uh, I think at the time I was the youngest player ever to play for Oxford uh, first grade, and uh, I stayed there for five years. Um, and so we're talking here. Seventy to seventy-five. Seventy-one, yeah. seventy-two season was was when you started. Yeah, yeah, and um, it was it was a super time there and a good learning experience. I played with Ron Atkinson. Um, in fact. I probably ended his career in in the fact that I took his place, which was. But he was enormous, enormously helpful to me over the years, because obviously he was coaching. At, uh, he went to Cambridge and then Manchester United, and I'd see him intermittently, and he was a great help to me. Uh, really good bloke from whatever you might get a different opinion of him on television, but a very very good man. And so, uh, in those uh, initial years, uh, was it? When that, when you're age 12 to 16, and and you obviously had a, a deep passion and love for the game, you were playing, like you said, four games a weekend. So was it then, after a couple of years, when you were 15, 16, thinking, well, if I get an opportunity, I'd love to play football as a professional? Was was that the aim? I think I always wanted to play um, professional football or cricket, to be perfectly frank. And I was a very good cricketer, um, and our school had a probably a, a leaning towards cricket more than uh, soccer uh, but uh, there was no money and there was no hero worship in cricket like there was in uh, football and uh, the opportunities just seemed to come and obviously you run with the flow. I know my parents didn't want me to play professional football they wanted uh, me to go to university and continue my schooling but um, they left the decision up to me and I was gone. And so you're 17, and, and you go down to Oxford. Uh, what, were the, what was that initial? Like you said, you had a great season um, in 12 to 13 games in that first season in the first grade in the first team. So how was that transition of of a big? It's a job, and it's a dream, and it's come true. What was it like? Um, you know, can you talk a bit about it? going into a new club and, and starting a new job at the age of 17 amongst men? Very, very tough. Um, being away from home for the first time was probably the toughest. I was very fortunate. I had a beautiful landlady, um, Mrs Timms, and uh, she looked after me like part of her family, and I was very fortunate. But probably the biggest difficulty that I faced was um, I was 17, and probably the next youngest in the first team was 28, 29. And there was... Not only was there a big age gap, there was a culture gap, and uh, 
training and they'd, they'd try to belt me and uh, I'd get up and next tackle I'd kill them and uh, I'd come home with bloody noses because I wasn't big enough to fight these, these massive men but I wasn't going to let them intimidate me and uh, that's where Ron Atkinson was very very good to me and uh, some of the other elder players Colin Clark as I remember and Huey Curran and uh, they, they helped me a lot over those years and I learnt how success can be uh, magnificent one minute and then everybody forgets it the next uh, I can remember one time I was really going well at Oxford and everybody wanted to know me then I'd see people avoiding me you know because things weren't going so well so you grow up very quickly I think by the time I was 18 or 19 um, I wasn't a kid anymore I was a grown man and I knew how to stick up for myself verbally physically in in and every mentally. in every way yeah you had to it was dog eat dog so the what about um, you're fulfilling a dream but what about it's the second tier of English football which is an extremely high level professional footballer what were you some of you in those years at Oxford um, before you moved on but what were some of those the highlights there and, and in terms of grounds played um, people or players you played against well I think I was speaking to my son um, maybe 10 years ago and he said oh how many grounds did you play over there and I worked it out the football league at that time there was 92 clubs in it in the four divisions and I played at something like 80 80 different grounds you know and um, it's I played at Manchester United at Oxford and Mark George Best uh, which was a great thrill um, I've got it this is an aside uh, Manchester United at that time behind the I don't know what it's like now behind the stand there was about a, a five metre little road and uh, there was a wall uh, outside the road and the grandstand there anyway after the game we um, we went up to the players bar and I had a heap of autograph books for George Best to sign and uh, he signed them all anyway we walked downstairs waiting for the bus to come at the bottom of the grandstand and there was about a hundred girls there, and they're chanting Georgie, Georgie, Georgie. <laughs> anyway, we're there going, oh, yeah, this is the life. Next minute, uh, somebody uh, came down out of the grandstand, and he had a coat over his head, and uh, a taxi pulled up, and he ran ran to the to the taxi, and all the women started screaming and chasing after him and grabbing him, and he got in the taxi and he drove off, and. We're there going, yeah, what a life. And then a few minutes later, the women started to disappear and they went and a little mini came up and out walked George Best. <laughs> so it was a decoy, the first one. And, you know, I suppose that was the life it was then because he was the first real world superstar, he was I think. A megastar. Yeah, absolute megastar. And geez, he, could, he was a megastar on and off the field. So you then, um, after. With Oxford United, you then went to Lincoln City. So how did that um, transfer come about? Um, I was put on the transfer list at 20,000, which was um, probably too high at, at that time. And um, I got a few offers, but there was nowhere I wanted to go. And I really, I wanted to go closer to home. 
and I spoke to Jerry Summers, the Oxford United manager, and he said, Graham Taylor, and Graham Taylor was 29, I think, at the time, said, he's coaching, uh, he's the manager at Lincoln. I said, go and speak to him. I said, they're a fourth division side. He said, I'm telling you, go and speak to him. It's close to your home. That's what you wanted to do. It's only 20 miles away from Nottingham. And um, he said, he's going to be one of the best coaches in in, in England. And I said, oh, yeah. I went and met him. And engaging man, very, very intelligent. uh, Just everything was pure clarity, what he told me. And... uh, I signed there and then, and we won the fourth division championship. I think we had the points record. I think it was 90-something points we got for that season, and that's two points for a win. And that was your first yeah, season? Yeah, that was my first season. And, uh, so 75, 76 season? It, yeah, that's right. We, we lost our first game, and I think we only dropped two or three points the, the rest of the year. Something, wow. something it, was, it was absolutely phenomenal. And... Um, Realize, I realised then as I was playing there that I was just fortunate to be part of uh, being coached by this man. He was he was absolutely... If he was living in Wollongong, he'd be head of Blue Scope. He was one of those people. He was yeah. a natural leader. Wasn't, wasn't a great player. Um, but uh, And, you know, he's taught me a lot of the things about, about coaching and about foaming at the mouth at half time when when shouting at players just just simple things it was um it was great and he was a very very down to earth person and uh, my five years there were thoroughly enjoyable uh, so how did was it good uh, like you said to move closer back to home and and I'm assuming at your time at Oxford that your parents did get to see you at some point so did you sort of come home in a sense sort of not they fully supported you, but I'm, I'm sure there would have been, you know, some slight doubts in their mind. They wanted you to go elsewhere in in a vocation, but they must have been proud to have you closer to home and then to see oh, you a bit more regularly as well. Massively, because I'd only come home in the summer holidays, you know, and at those days you'd have eight weeks off, something like that, and it it was great, but. Uh, you know, you've, you've got to go where you... Yeah. I could have gone to Swansea, you know, instead of Lincoln. I mean, they offered a lot more money, and uh, but the the manager wasn't as impressive as Graham Taylor, and uh, that's what it went down to. It didn't come down to actual, the actual finance. There wasn't a lot of difference, but it was, it was quite, quite a, a bit, and uh, I just thought, well, this is where I want to go. I can see where I'm going here. And for that year in the fourth division... I mean, this was said by a lot of the top managers in England. Um, Lincoln City could have played in the first division, as it was then, and finished mid-table. We just had all the players at the right age. I was the youngest there as well, and the rest were 28, 29, 30, but they'd all hit their peak at the same time. And the next season, we'd lost it, you know, and it had gone. Uh, we still did very well that next year in the third division, but not not as well as we expected. We expected the roller coaster to keep going, Go. and it didn't. Uh, so, but but that's that's what football's all about. It's all about ups and downs, and how you handle those ups and downs. Um, and it, it, you know, I, I read a lot now about sporting heroes getting depression, and I understand it completely. 
you know, because one minute you can be top of the ladder and then the next minute they're, they're walking all over you. And you've got to get yourself up and, and keep going. And it's very difficult times. And I guess uh, in those sort of the 70s uh, economically were a tough time in the United Kingdom. So uh, football would have been, well, it was more of a working class sport back then. But, you know, it was something that was fervently supported. And, and like you said, the ups and downs. And you were learning from a young age that the mental aspect as well as the physical. I, I think it was a great learning path for life. You know, and you you learnt that you had to look after yourself. And uh, I, I think top class sportsmen at any level, they've got to have a good uh, a good mentality. If they haven't got that, they can have the physical prowess, the the, the skills, but if they haven't got the mental attitude, uh, they, they they won't compete at top level. They just can't. So you. I think people tend to forget and, you know, it's easy. I've done it many a times where you go, geez, I'd love to, to do that as a professional. But there are some aspects of, of the job that is, you know, purely hard work like any other job and, and it is a job. So, um, you know, the grind must, uh, have, must eat away at you at times like any job. Of course, of course. I mean, uh, you get to know your own body as well and, and you know... I wanted to play at the top level in England as as long as I could do, and um, pre-season we'd say would would start the second week in July, and um, I'd go back two weeks early, and I'd start training myself there at, at the ground, and uh, knowing that when everybody came back, I'd probably be twenty percent fitter than them, and I, this is knowing your body. By the time the pre-season was over, they'd all be at the same level as me. But if I would have started at the same time as them, I would have been behind. And I learned that very, very quickly. Um, A lad that I played with, and he was older than me, and and very good friends with him, and he was in digs with me. He never played probably a dozen first-grade games, but he told me that. He said, you've got to learn your own body and know what it can do and how to to manage it. And uh, I learned that very, very early. So I was very lucky in that respect. So you come to the end of uh, the 70s, uh, the 1979-80 season, um, and then I think Lincoln City were back in fourth division, mm. and then you, you got a chance to move to Port Vale for a couple of games. What happened there? Well, basically what happened, I, the year before that year, I signed a two-year contract, and um, that last year at Lincoln, I started as captain. And I got injured, um, and they they sent me a. Oh, I was, it was a knee ligaments, medial uh, knee ligaments, and probably they sent you in to have an operation. You're back playing now very very quickly, but it was it was big time. And they sent me away to a rehabilitate army and navy rehabilitation centre for for three weeks, and um, some interesting stories about that but it was it was very good and I started to get back to to fitness again and it wasn't the fitness it was I couldn't kick a ball because once I uh, overextended my leg I was I was struggling and um, I got a chance uh, from my I'd done my coaching badges and coaching courses and John McGrath was the uh, manager at Port Vale and he said look why don't you come on loan for 
for two months and see what happens. So I went on loan for two months. Um, they paid me out my contract at Lincoln and I went there and it, it didn't work out. So I come back looking for another club and um, I got a phone call from uh, Australia from Alan Vest at Newcastle, Newcastle KB United as it was then, to come and play over here. So we talked and we agreed terms and everything. So I sold my house, uh, my wife and uh, little baby, Laura. And uh, suddenly I got a phone call from Ken Morton from Wollongong. And uh, I said, oh, no, well, I'm going to sign for Newcastle. He said, well, they're, they've, they're overextended a bit. And um, he's, uh, Alan's good friend of mine's given me your name. So he came and talked to me in England, and we met on the motorway. And as you do, the money was a lot better than I was going to get at Newcastle. I signed here and uh, came here. But the stupid thing about it was um, I was only 28 and my manager at uh, Lincoln, Colin Murphy, rang me up while all this was going on and sold my house and said, um, I want you for the youth team to be the youth team coach here. And I said, I want to play. And uh, he said, look, all we've got to do is get uh, rid of the coach um, at the moment and... Uh, as soon as he's gone, said, said I don't want to sack him. He's looking for another job. He knows the situation. Said, and you, you come in here. I said, oh, I can't. And I carried on with the um, uh, Wollongong thing. And then the night before we went on the plane, he rang me up and he said, he's gone. Don't go. And I said, I can't. And it was a great adventure for two years, basically, for us. But it's lasted... 30-odd years now. So yeah. that was... Um, oh, 30, 40 years nearly. So in your discussions um, there with your wife and, and family, you were it was just a two-year proposition that you were going to come out, play for two years, and then come back. Yeah. And you were saying before that um, you'd got your coaching badges, so were you, in the back of your mind, in that late 70s, uh, when you're playing for Lincoln, were you thinking, look, I might want to do this after I stopped playing. So oh, I'm certainly. Get so that was already in your head. Oh, certainly, uh, completely. Uh, I'd got it got it all planned out. We'd, um, there was quite a few people I met on the, the... They were living courses, you know, two weeks, and uh, people I met there, Harry Redknapp. Well, I mean, I can tell you stories about him on the course. Uh, we, were, we were in the same room, you know, as it happens, but uh, probably another... <laughs> Another time and another place, and uh, we just uh, we just all I think we'd all agreed that we could do it. And in fact, Harry Redknapp went um, after the coaching course. Uh, he went to uh, Oxford City in the Isthmian League with Bobby Moore. Bobby Moore was the um, the coach, and Harry was his assistant. And Harry rang me up, and they wanted to sign me there. And I said, no, no, I'm, this is when I was going going overseas. I said, no, no, I can't go. And he said, oh, look, you, you liked it at Oxford. said, Oxford City, we're going places. said, you'll get in on the coaching merry-go-round. I said, no. So um, uh, you arrive here in, in Sydney, I'm assuming, and um, do you come straight down to, to Wollongong? And what were your th first thoughts? 
Well, I travelled all over the world and uh, playing playing football, and to get up at the top of Bulleye Tops and look down, it was about nine o'clock in the morning, something like that. Oh, we'd never seen anything so beautiful, and uh, I still don't think a lot of people who live in Wollongong realise what a beautiful area they've got. Um, it, it was incredible, and we stayed at Ostermere the first week, <laughs> and uh, you know. 50 metres to the beach. Oh, it was incredible, incredible. So the 81 season obviously is a, a pioneering one um, uh, for various reasons, apart from, say, Wollongong United and Ferry Meadow, who were in the, the lower tiers of the uh, the state leagues then. Um, Wollongong was back in the NSL, or hadn't been in the NSL when it started in 77, so it was a pioneering year and you were part of it. And... and um, can you talk us through that, that first game? Because I think the first round of that season was at home and there was about 5,000 there and it's a Wollongong showground. Well, I'll, 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 you've made a mistake there because that was one of my biggest gripes. We were on a crowd bonus and the Wollongong showground, Wind Stadium as it is now, uh, had a dog track around yep. it. It was packed. I played in stadiums all my life if there wasn't 15,000 there oh, I'll go and shoot oh, myself wow. shoot myself Never and uh, the op- opposing coach was Tommy Doherty who coached Manchester United yeah. and everything the first question they asked him after the game because he'd just come from uh, England uh, said what do you think to Australian uh, football and he said they can't count said if, there, if there's only 4,000 people there said they can't count and that, 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 that's honesty. I mean, I mean, I'm sure if you spoke to Glenn Fontana, uh, Chris Dunleavy, they'll tell you the same thing. It was ridiculous. It was, it was, it was a party atmosphere. It was, it was incredible. So you obviously you knew you were part of something special in in that first year. And and can you t- talk us through? You spoke about Ken Morton and and what about some of the other players and and that season where I think. Um, when, Looking at my notes here, that you've ended up, um, you know, mid-table, but still in a thirty-first year for a club, uh, it's a upper mid-table. Or, or, you know, it's a pretty good result. We, we had we had a good season. Um, it was uh, it was a great year. It's starting startup clubs like that, you know, it was it was fantastic because everybody was here. There was Kiwis, there was people from Newcastle, people from England, and. We just all blended in and uh, mixed, and it was it was really really good. Uh, plus the weather, everything about the place I loved. The first season mid table, and then the and then the second um, year, I think um, you're still with still playing and with and Ken was Ken Morton was the coach, and um, that second season you ended up uh, coming third in the league. So. Um, was it additional players or was it just the group coming together or we we got two additional players which made a massive difference Phil O'Connor um, who in fact made his debut for Luton against uh, me at, when I was at Oxford and uh, I think he played that one solitary game it was the last game of the season um, he was he came over here and from being without being disrespectful uh, he was a an ordinary player in England over here. I couldn't believe it was the same lad. He was brilliant. 
he was he was the difference that year for us. He was absolutely magnificent and a very very good friend of mine. Um, he scored goals. He did everything. He, in, eventually, he got selected for the Australian squad. But there was also the addition of Roy Cotton. He came, and they blended together very, very well. And uh, defensively, in midfield, we were very strong, but we didn't have a striking, a potent striking force. And with them, we did, and uh, we we went very, very well. And very probably very unfortunate to lose to St George in the what is it. The, the final going into the grand final. Yeah, it was a, I think it was, um, you know, beaten Heidelberg um, in the first game and then, yeah, lost 2 0 to, to St George in that prelim final at yeah. Wollongong Showground. Again, the crowd says 7,000, but it could I, can't, have been I, can't, I can't remember <laughs> it. It could have been anything. So we come to the end of that um, 82 season and, and you and your wife um, had talked about staying for two years so um, was there discussions then or had you already made your mind up to stay at the end of that second season I I can't remember the time date now um, if it was that season we we went back home and uh, I came back I think Willie Wallace no no Ken Morton probably started the year and then Willie Wallace uh, took over and uh, I, we played that year on a, a year's contract and uh, I looked at getting permanent residency through Laurie Kelly and I must say this about Laurie Kelly um, he was absolutely tremendous for football in the Illawarra for the, the people that he brought out here he was just oh, godlike to us he was magnificent he did, did everything for football um, he kept that club running on, on nothing, he was, he was brilliant, and uh, sadly he's deceased now. But uh, just yeah, like from, pay tribute to a very, all, all, very good all man. All reports are a very positive influence that he's had on the community, not just at a, a sort of political level, but at a soccer no, level. With no. first with Fernhill, and then, and yeah. then with Wollongong yeah. City. No, um, so played that year, and uh, then at the end, I can't remember where we finished, probably mid-table, I think. Yeah, 80, uh, 83, it yeah. was um, down near the bottom, actually. Yeah, but uh, anyway, at the end of the season, um, they said, I think I think it was on a two-year contract, or a year-and-a-year year option, they said, we can't come up with the same money, and they said that to all of us, and... Uh, I went back to England with the wife and then I came back on my own to see what was going on and uh, I got a chance to go somewhere else to Melbourne but the, the wife did not want to, to go to Melbourne. She was still in England and I started negotiating again with Laurie Kelly. I think Kristen Levy, Jeff Ainsworth, they both left. The whole club, the, it had gone. There was no, no players left and I think... Uh, Noddy had got the job. Yeah, in '84, and he had no players. You know, Peter Willis probably the only one he really had of any any quality. And uh, I eventually signed. I think five games into the season, and uh, we played Sydney Croatia at Dapto Showground, and uh, we beat them three-one. It was the first win of the the Wolves had had, and uh, I think Graham Arnold was playing up front for them. And that was it. I played played that season, and 
we finished near the, well I think we finished bottom but we had um, we had status that was confirmed that we couldn't get relegated yeah, and uh, two we, conferences that year yeah, and you down, yeah, down the and, bottom um, we, we stayed um, we, we stayed up but at the end of the season uh, I didn't really want to stay and play with a team that with ordinary players it, we were going nowhere and um, I uh, applied for the Ferry Meadow job they just got promoted to the state league the top state league uh, level and um, I got the job and that was the start of my coaching career uh, so uh when you took that Ferry Meadow job, uh, tell us a bit about that. Your introduction to the Ferry Meadow Club. You know, where did they play at? You know, who were well, we, who we were you talking to in terms of their committee? The Frank Saladino, um, who's still around uh, football, and Walter Chichkin. Uh, they were they were running the club, and they could not compete with the state league clubs. They had nothing. I mean, the money the players were getting that I was getting was just nothing. Um, but they had an atmosphere that was was great and built uh, built on camaraderie and and just bonding. And uh, we we played out of Coromel uh, Memorial Park, and uh, we uh, trained at Police Boys Club in North Wollongong, and uh, we're going into I think two games before the end of the season we were looking at getting promoted to the National League we were we were top and uh, we we lost to Auburn which were was a Uruguayan uh, club and uh, we ended up uh, finishing second and then we played in the grand final and we lost the grand final but it was it was a super year in fact I met Frank Saladino a few weeks ago and we were talking about it and the the fun we had that year it was it was sensational and I, I will say this we were getting bigger crowds than the Wolves at Memorial Park we were getting bigger crowds than the Wolves we were we were that successful and um, at the end of the year I left and took the Wolves coaching job and that's um, that's where everything steamrolled then so um, obviously you know, financially, it was a it was a risk for you, you know, and and uh, and your family. But you obviously wanted to to coach, and and you know, got close to NSL with Ferry Meadow, which would have been extremely interesting. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I think we'll talk later on about, you know, I think Wollongong Macedonia had had a year there with the Wolves in 1990, so it would have been uh, would have been a, a positive thing, and um, how things may have changed if if that did happen. So the Wolves job for you, um, you left there in '84 because because of the they couldn't compete with the bigger clubs, and the playing squad was more younger players. Um, so what made you choose after a successful year at Ferry Meadow to go back to the Wolves? Well, I'd I'd unearthed um, Warwick Young, Robbie Giraldi, um, Reg Chilby, uh, Jock Milando, Although Jock Milando had played for the Wolves before. They were the stalwarts at Ferry Meadow, and I brought them all there, and I took them all straight to the Wolves. So we had—I knew I had competitive, um, aggressive competitors who wanted to play, and they had a fair amount of ability as well. So I'd brought four players straight away. So the structure at the Wolves immediately changed, and 
other players I brought brought in. I uh, got Jeff Ainsworth from Blacktown. He wanted to play down here, and although he wasn't probably a commanding player, he was a real presence on the field, and he led the players. Whatever I wanted done, he made sure it was done. He was a, a marvellous captain, one of the best I've ever been involved with. Um, and we did very, very well. I, I managed to poach Willie Murray from uh, Sydney City, a very, very good player. And, uh, yes, yeah, things things were going super well. So, uh, you know, for you it wasn't really... Uh, the transition was, I guess, coaching from State League to NSL, um, which obviously was a step up, but... You obviously, with your career in England, you'd done coaching badges, you were ready for it and wanted it. And, you know, I guess there wasn't too many surprises because you'd been in the NSL, so you knew most of the clubs anyway. So um, I guess you sort of relished the opportunity in that first year? Yeah, more than ever. It was um, it was a, an amazing year. And I think uh, halfway through that season, um, we signed Randall Eastorp. Now... He, he would be one of my favourite players of all time. Um, he just just wanted to play, and uh, and that that was the beauty about the squad around that time. We had um, a group of lads who all wanted to play, and they all wanted to compete. And they didn't want to compete at an ordinary level; they wanted to compete at the top level. And uh, it was it was it was great. And we kind of built on on that every year with players. Um, till eventually we we finished first in the in the national league. So there's a year in between there, and um, before we get to that, what um, I'm not much of a tactics person. Um, that's why I'm on a committee um, and not a coach. But what was your sort of, I guess, structure as a coach? You know, um, how did you go about coaching a team with in terms of tactics? Well, basically at that time... And discipline and, and whatnot. Uh, basically at that time, um, the, the first thing you've got to do at any club, and I mean, anybody can do that, is get people fit. And, and that was my prime objective at, at the pre-season. We're getting them fit, we're halfway there. Mentally, you're, you're uh, better equipped to, to play well if you're physically fit. And uh, we did that. We played a stringent four-four-two, and... We pushed up from the back, closed the game down into 30 metres all the time. So as soon as the opposition got the ball, our players would drop the whole 11 and they'd be up near the halfway line. So there'd only be 30 yards for teams to play in. And not like the pressing they do nowadays with Klopp at Liverpool, um, uh, but just making sure that, that we were prepared to concede space behind our back four because Warwick Young was great on the ball and anything over the top he'd look after. So we didn't play with a sweeper, just two uh, pivot centre-halves, two full-backs, um, two wide men, two central men and two strikers. And uh, everybody bought into it. And uh, we were very, very hard to break down. I mean... Uh, a lot of draws, a lot of 1-0 wins, and then the more confidence you get, you start to, to beat teams, and uh, winning brings on confidence, and uh, we, we did extremely well. So at the end of that um, 86 season, um, you were sort of 
within that mid-table range and there was the two conferences, the Northern and Southern conferences in the NSL that year and I think the year before as well. It was a weird setup. Um, so how did it... Um, because I'm assuming it didn't come down to table position, but how did it end up that the Wolves were in then the State League the following year? Well, it was... Um, the, 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 the plan that they had, the FFA or whatever it was called in those days, was uh, you got points for your history. Well, Wollongong didn't have a very big history, so they, they were going to lose points there. You got points for where you finished on the thing. You got points for crowds. You got points for all these silly things and uh, it didn't matter if you were a good club or a bad club so the Marconis and the South Melbournes and the Adelaide Uniteds and the Adelaide Cities and the Brisbane Lions, the Brisbane Cities all these clubs were immediately in because the, they've, they've been playing since the A-League or since the National since League started so th they were going to get in and we, got, we, we lost our place because of that so Basically, you're back in the State League and you've got to win the State League to get promoted back to the National League. And so your appetite for wanting to be there and to get back straight back up didn't change? No, no. You knew uh, you had the, uh, the people to, to do, I guess, the rebound from, from State League to NSL? Yeah, we, we probably... Um, the addition... Mike Ollerfield, I got Mike Ollerfield over from England... And um, he was he was a super addition at that time, and uh, blended in with the, the culture that was at the club, and uh, that winning winning culture. And you know, there's a lot of stuff talked about nowadays, especially with the cricket, winning at all costs. And uh, I don't I don't think at any sport at the top level that isn't the way. You've got to win games, or else you lose your place in the team. You lose your coaching job. Uh, it's it's dog eat dog. So it's a must. You've got to have that win, winning at all costs uh, attitude. If you don't, you're just going to be uh, shark fodder, and uh, you're gone. And uh, we we were very very um, strong in attitudes and and physical physically yeah, did very very well. Yeah, that uh, 80, 87 season in the state league. You uh, uh, beat Canberra City and Blacktown City, and and for you, I guess two years earlier, you'd been in the state league with Ferry Meadows. So again, you taking that risk there, at stepping down um, from playing at the Wolves and coaching meant that you knew some of the clubs and knew some of the former NSL clubs that were sort of put in the mix. So you knew what you're up against. Yeah, it was it was very good. There was, there was probably only three really top teams there there was Blacktown, Canberra and us and um, very very competitive all the games between each other I think we won one against Blacktown and lost one and I think we might have beat Canberra both times um, but uh, it was it was a very good year a very good year and uh, then things changed the next year So it had obviously um, the promotion came in terms of um, going back up to the NSL, so um, how did they change at the club? Well, basically, I was at a, a party of um, uh, one of the the team managers up at Farnborough Heights, Jess Massioni, and uh, we were there, and I was talking to one of the directors, and he said, uh, 
we've got a massive injection of money. And I said, oh, that's great. said, Harry Michaels. I didn't know who Harry Michaels was. And he uh, said, he's going to give us $100,000 and uh, we can do what we like with it. And so I said, well, what about if he's putting all this money in? I said, what about players? What about coaches? He said, no, no, you're, you're still coaching. You'll still be, still be there. Everything's um, flowing from you. So I had talks um, with Laurie Kelly and uh, the money and said, look, the money's to be spent. I said, but obviously the less you spend the better it is for the club because we can invest it the other money because it was a, a interest-free loan for I don't know two years and uh, so I needed a left-sided player I, I bought Danny Craney from South Melbourne and um, David Radcliffe started ringing me up he was falling out with Frank Arrick at St George and um, I had a really good centre half. Well, obviously Ray Valestra and Jock Melando could play there as well. And uh, I had a, a lad called Scott Dixon, who had done his um, uh, knee, and so he was he was out. But I was hoping that he was going to be a, a real superstar. And uh, I kept saying to David, no, but he kept ringing me. And uh, eventually, I gave in, and we signed him. And it was it was a great signing because Scott probably didn't play after that you know he um, his knee was gone and uh, ACL and uh, David Radcliffe came so he just added to the the bite at the club you know and everything about it and I, there's another player I've, I've got to mention um, I mean we, we had we had David Skeen we got from St George a local lad absolutely super competitive good player Raddy Stefanowski who um, I I got him he was uh, signed in the Adrian Alston era and I played against him and I thought he was useless no, I, I didn't want him and I told him time after time and he's saying no John I'm going to prove you wrong I'm going to prove you wrong and I said no you won't because you won't get the opportunity and I said you know move on Wollongong United won't you you know no no, John, I'm going to prove you wrong. So sure enough, he got his opportunity and he did prove me wrong. And another one of my favourite players. And, and that was the kind of attitude you need to be successful. He was a pivotal part of the team and he wasn't going to take second best to anybody. And great, love him, love so him to that, death. So that there um, speaks about Rady as well and, and, and some of the other players you brought across from Ferry Meadow, but it also says about, um, and maybe it just happened or maybe it was deliberate on your part, but you, as as the head coach, set up that environment, though, don't you? So, oh, of course. So of course. you make it, make everyone aware of you work hard, you fight hard, you do what I say and, and, and you'll get rewarded. So so well, people must have, you know, known that. And, oh, they all bought into and it. And so they the, all, yeah. the culture there must yeah. have been strong. I mean, I'm sure if you talk to Warwick Young... Or Robert Giraldi, who were in it from the start with me with Ferry Meadow, um, they'd tell you at training sessions, um, you'd be in hot an hour and a half and you'd be just having a little six aside at the end. And I'd have to stop it because it was getting so physical, because people wanted to compete. And that was the atmosphere I wanted to create. 
but perhaps not to that extent at training. Um, yeah, and uh, it, it was a brilliant. And we had that culture, and it, it, it was great. And uh, you knew that the players that I had uh, got involved in the club, if you were going to lose a game, you don't come in screaming and shouting. You didn't have to. You know, you know they'd done everything in their power to, to get a result. Maybe... Uh, technically or tactics, you'd, you'd speak to them afterwards, but you never have to go in and blow the balls off and say, oh, no, you should have done this. You never had to bother with that because you knew what you were getting out of them. I think it's worth noting here and, and staying on this a little bit more, but that 88 season, and I think uh, uh, both me and you, um, just before we started this interview, uh, uh, rate league champions higher than um, the Australian system of grand finals and not disparaging um, grand finals, it is what it is and, and people know that from the start but Wollongong were the league champions at the end of that 88 season and and uh, how special did it feel to you in a sense you did the double, you know you you worked hard along with the team and, and, and Laurie Kelly and the like to, to get promoted which is difficult in itself but then you won the NSL. You were league champions. How did you, how did you feel? Oh, no, we all felt that that was what we were aiming for. I mean, to get into the grand final would have been would have been great, but it was an afterthought. Um, the last game we played Sydney Croatia, Sydney Croatia, and we were waiting on a, another result um, from Adelaide. Uh, Adelaide playing South Melbourne, I think, and uh, they were kicking off. There was a delayed kickoff for some reason, I don't know. And um, I can remember Robbie Slater, we were winning. Uh, it was one each, and Robbie Slater broke through, and uh, it was only Mike Hollifield there. And Mike Hollifield pulled him down. Last man nowadays, you'd get sent off. You didn't do in that day. Yeah. He got a yellow card, and that was it. And we drew the match probably because of that that tackle. And we got in the dressing room, the result filtered through. Adelaide had beat South Melbourne. West Adelaide, I think it was, had beat South Melbourne 2-1. So we'd finished first. And uh, that was when the party started. So, yeah, it must have been a, a great uh, celebration. You know, was, two years' worth of hard work where you oh, it was, it was incredible. great seasons. And let me tell you, those guys knew how to party. There's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, it was, it, was a great, it was a great weekend. And... Um, then you know, I think we played the finals against um, Sydney Croatia at Marconi Stadium at Marconi Stadium. Yeah, it was the and, major semi-final yeah, against Sydney and, CSC. And uh, you know, I I, I was really um, shitty about that because Sydney Croatia was two miles away from Marconi's ground. And it was a home. It was a, it was a home game, and I complained everywhere on the television, um, to our committee, you know, to everybody that would speak to me, and uh, it, it probably, in a lot of ways, cost us the game. Um, we, we lost on penalties, um, and we, we were missing. Well, I think we were missing three players through suspension. And uh, Minio Bonatig made his debut <laughs> in a major semi-final. He was only 18 and, and played very, very well and played regularly the next season. And uh, we lost that. And I still look back and think we were just outmanoeuvred by the Sydney Mafia. And uh, 
it was um, it was just wrong. So I think um, the next the prelim final you lost to Marconi, but but no. Yes, no, guess guess where we played that. Where? Sydney Croatia's ground. See, so the same thing bizarre. happened again. It was absolutely bizarre. And I mean, we finished so really, first. Really, you should have had two home games. To, yeah, to we we we, we finished first. We should have had a home home advantage. And I'm sure the results would have been different if if it wasn't for that. And uh, yeah, but but that's life. You you soon get over it. But you must have been uh, pretty chuffed that yeah into your you know four third or fourth season here of. Of coaching, and um, you're in the national league, and you know you've, you're top of the pops. So you must have been, I guess, personally very proud of of your own achievements and and what you'd achieved that year. Yeah, and um, you know the the friendships that you make through sport. Um, certainly, the friendships that I made with the players then they've endured the twenty odd years or maybe longer that says uh, a lot doesn't yeah, it yeah it says a lot and um, we're still still good friends and a lot of them like Robbie Giraldi lives around here there's Peter Cotamanidis um, Warwick Young uh, Jock Melando uh, David Skeen although I haven't seen him for a couple of years um, Raddy Stefanovsky you know they're all still living here uh, Mike Hollerfield they're all they're all living here and uh it's great. We we catch up time to time, and we've always got something to talk about. So we we go on into the '89 season, and um, it was probably a, a, a different season for for many reasons. But um, you know, mid table. Um, what had changed from from the year before that there was a, a drop of in table position at the end of the season by you know a few spots compared to to winning it the year before. I think if, if I remember rightly, I, I had a falling out with Harry Michaels. Um, you, you know what it's like. You get people, administrators and financial backers, and uh, they want to tell you what players to play and how to, how to change your tactics and whatever. And I was very, very um, forthright in my beliefs at the time and uh, said, no, I, I think it was about Marshall Soper. And uh, we signed him, but our players hadn't been playing bad. He was a good player, but he had to work his way into the team. Yep. And really, at no stage did he really fit in. But, um, yeah, we we fell out about that, and uh, we had a, a few dramas and um, sorted it out, but it was never sorted out, but it was sorted out, if you know what I mean. So you finished yeah. the season at the Wolves, and yeah. then, I guess, in your mind, with, with those sort of... I guess talking points in in terms of people trying to encroach on what was your domain. You thought, well, I'm out of here, or you sort of. Thought- I kept, I kept, I kept going, and um, something went off, and uh, I can't exactly. And uh, the board wanted to speak to me over. Oh yeah, it was it was about Mike Hollerfield and Danny Craney on the pitch competitive players this is what I bred um, they were arguing all the time every time you saw them they were arguing off the fit pitch they're best friends they thought it was a, a problem within the team and I was supposed to front up the boardroom and I can remember going home that Sunday night I'm supposed to meet the board the next day I thought I don't need this you know 
they were bottom of the league. We've done exceptionally well. And now, you know, I can feel people encroaching on me and wanting to to run it. And I said, no. And I rang John Valestra up and uh, said, that's it. I'm out of here. And uh, I spoke to Laurie Kelly and said, no, no, I'm gone. Probably it was a spur of the moment thing and looking back, I probably made the bad decision. But um, that was the way I was. And... Um, uh, whatever people want to say about me, I was always straightforward and honest with everybody. And uh, there would be no point in me staying there and uh, letting them run the show. And uh, I went. And so, what what were your what were your thoughts then? Because I guess um, at, at that point in time, um, you you probably I guess my maths is right. You're in your mid thirties. Um, which, you know, I think I've glossed over here. I'm not being a great interviewer, but, you know, in your mid-30s or just a, a year before, you were one of the best coaches in the NSL. Um, what were your thoughts going into that next year? Well, I'd be, After to, to be perfectly decision. honest, I had been tapped up by another club, another Sydney club, and um, not uh, promised the job, but, you know, near enough. Yep. And it, the fact, as soon as I resigned at the Wolves, I had uh, that club's players ringing me up saying, you know, oh, look, we want to play for you next year, John. And all this. Anyway, I got the call. I went for the interview up in uh, Sydney and uh, thought the interview went very, very well. And it, I got told that they'd get back to me in the next couple of weeks and... I kept getting these calls from players, you know, players from other clubs as well. And then I read, read in the paper, uh, somebody else had got the job. So, welcome, welcome to uh, Australian sport. And uh, I then got a phone call from Rockdale in the State League. And uh, I went there and uh, pleasantly surprised. I, I got to uh, uh, Rockdale in Sydney, the... Um, the president was a bank manager, um, the secretary was a computer analyst, the treasurer were, was a, an investment banker. They were yuppies and they were magnificent. Um, we, we had a ball that year and um, I think we finished third. And uh, I left on good terms with them at the end of the year. And, and, and why did you leave at the end of that year? Or was it more the travel or...? No, the, the Wallingley United they'd got promoted to the National League and uh, they uh, I knew I was going to get the job because Casey was Casey De Bruyne was re resigning or backing yep. in he didn't want to do it and uh, I, I took the job and I think it lasted nine weeks ten weeks something like that yep so um, after that you thought did that leave a, a a bad taste in your mouth and and or did you think yeah it it did definitely um because i think even in that 1990 year after nine weeks you then were playing in the local premier league um oh yeah, yeah. with with Wollongong olympics so so how did that come about they just rang me up uh Kristen Levy and I and um, we went we went and played there um 
so obviously I, I, kept, I love playing. So you kept yourself in shape in, in yeah. that interim period yeah. while you were yeah. coaching. Yeah, I, I love playing. I mean, in fact, I, I think I played my last football at 52. I was playing for the Cabbage Tree Hotel <laughs> on the Sunday <laughs> Sunday mornings and thoroughly enjoying it. That was my level at, at, at the time. But Premier League was um, very good. I enjoyed it. Bobby Fryer was... Um, the coach there and uh, got on really well with Bob and uh, yeah it was a good time So at the end of that 90 uh, season with Wollongong Olympic um, you then went into the 91 season um, playing again um, what were your thoughts in your mind about coaching then? Um, not really a lot at the, at the time. I'd started a, a business out of Campbell's Cash and Carry with a, a fellow Wollongong uh, Olympic player, and um, I was probably more focused more into that. that, more focused in, in on that. And um, then I got the offer to coach Wollongong Olympic. I think they'd won the league the year before with Peter Willis, and um, he'd fell out with them. I don't know what had happened. He fell out with the president, and uh, as as you do, and uh, he'd left, and so they asked me to do the job. So I did the job, and uh, was there for a few years. So I, I think um, maybe I've missed that, but sort of in between taking that Wollongong Olympic job, you were you had a bit of time at uh, Wollongong Serbia or Wollongong oh, yes, uh, as well. I so, I I ninety three, and I guess. You had another. Um, you helped out Rockdale in '92 as well. Yeah, yeah. I was playing and um, and coaching at the same time. Yeah, for two different leagues. So I couldn't get to training for the Premier League down here because I was coaching in Sydney. Um, but I, I, I love I love football. Um, it's it's not a chore to go out and play. It's not a chore to to coach. It was. Uh, um, very exciting um, and nowadays probably it's a lot more of a chore for me to coach um, things change times change people change and um, yeah I'm probably a lot more relaxed now than I ever was before so those uh, two and a bit years at Wollongong Olympic in 96 97 and a bit of 98 um, what were your what were your memories of, of those years with with Olympic yeah, very good. We had some real, real characters there. Um, Paul McGarry, local policeman, um, st- still playing, I think, uh, over 35s. Um, George Antonou, uh, local businessman. In fact, I think he's coaching Wollongong Olympic now. Um, yeah, good players. Mickey Atsis, who owns the Bulleye Flower Shop. Uh, yeah, there was there was a lot of characters. I enjoyed my enjoyed my time there. We had a great bunch of uh, young lads at the time, and uh, with with contacts, we were able to get uh, Peter Catholis to come and play a few games. Tony Spiridakos uh, played a few games, and we got a few lads from um, Sydney Olympics youth youth grade who went on to to play national league, and they played uh, quite a few games for us. So it was it was a thoroughly enjoyable. Um, time there um, very um, very bad ending really we um, I think we were third in the league we were going yeah it was a weird it was a weird one going looking at newspaper articles and whatnot flying so. and we played um, Dapto who we were near the bottom at home and um, 
we lost, I think it was 7-1. And uh, the score was mind-boggling, but the refereeing was even more. I mean, I had to stop Tony Spiridakis, who, who was a gentleman playing National League, from said, I'm waiting for the referee, I'm going to kill him. This is after the game. It was that, it was that bad. And um, I went to the... Uh, the club the sponsor uh, the, the club that sponsored um, Wollongong Olympic and uh, Paul Manager said uh, they've just had a board meeting they've sacked you I, I was astounded absolutely astounded and uh, I walked away I couldn't I couldn't believe it and I was very 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 um, upset and I think there was only three or four games left and they finished fifth so yeah well done and uh, I got a call from Camblawarra and uh, I went there and I was probably very very lucky I was there at, at the beginning really when they um, built their own ground and it was, uh, it was a very very good time there as well So yeah you did spend uh, and quite a successful period as well from, from that sort of bit of 98 there and then, and then through to 2003 where you know, you you won the uh, Bampton Cup a couple of times, were league champions in 2002, a couple of Coromel Leagues, club knockout wins as well. Um, I, I, you know, talk a bit about your time there and there. There are Portuguese. I, I, clubs, I think so. um, I think the Premier League at that time was at its its highest level uh, around the 2000 era. You had Coniston, very very good side. Port Kembla, very good side. Kemblewara, very good side, and the crowds we used to get were were astounding. Um, uh, it was the Premier League was was going great guns at that stage, and uh, our rivalry with Coniston. I mean, probably if you spoke spoke to the Coniston players, they'll say they couldn't wait to play Kemblewara. We couldn't wait to play them, and it was on from the moment you went on the pitch, and uh, the rivalry was was brilliant it made you want to go and and watch and want want to play I mean I wanted to play you know and uh, yeah yeah I suppose you talk, talk to the Mitchell Blows and the Richard Lloyds and the Matt Parkers and Jason Konchevskis and the, the players that played uh, that time that uh, Nathan Thompson's it was it was magnificent it was brilliant brilliant era and you knew when those games, they, they were just crunch games. And in fact, we played a Bampton Cup final at Balgowney and we beat Coniston. And uh, one of the, th- that year, Norm, Norm Wicker's uh, sister, uh, she videotaped all the games and then made a highlight reel of all the goals. It, it was sensational. Um, I don't know where it is. I'll have to try and dig it out somewhere. Yeah, we'll have to try and get that online. Yes. So uh, th- those years there, um, there was success, but that 2002 season um, was really, like you said, there was some strong teams with the likes of Paul Gamble, Coniston, Picton. Um, there were some really strong clubs with some great players. So talk us through that 2002 season where, you know, again, um, didn't didn't get the grand final, but to be league champions in 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 that year must have been pretty special oh it was massive massive I think there was a lot of rain that year and um, we had uh, to play seven matches in um, I think 16 days and 
it it set the season up. It was middle mid season. We won every game. It was it was an incredible time. We'd just go swimming. We wouldn't go training. We'd go swimming and uh, socialise, and then just go out and play. And I'm sure. Um, you, you, you probably interview the, the Mitchell Blows or the Richard Lloyds, and they'd tell you about that year. And it was it was an incredible year. So the obviously you enjoyed your time there with the committee and whatnot. So how do those? You know, you were top of the tree in '88 and in state league in '87. So when you look back on it, how do you how do you compare? You know, winning the league in in a strong in the Illawarra Premier League. It, and you talk about, you can remember those guys straight away and you name them. So obviously it still means something. So is it hard to rate sometimes um, just because something's a higher league? It's more your enjoyment out of the people that you're with as well? Of, of course, that, that comes into it. But um, in sport, you you never forget your winning teams. You, know, you probably tend to forget your losing teams and forget the players' names. And, uh, and it's just a, a natural natural way of being and my time at Kemblawar I, I thoroughly enjoyed I had a great set of lads um, at the Wolves exactly the same um, Ferry Meadow I had a great set of lads I mean uh, you look, everything I look back at Ferry Meadow that year we had no money the players weren't getting paid it was a lovely club it was a club you wanted to play for. You wanted to play for the Frank Saladinos of the world, and um, to be to be successful that year was was absolutely massive. Then you compare it to winning the national league, that was absolutely massive, but it's not the same. Yeah. And then you compare it to Kemblewara, and that was absolutely massive, but it's not the same. And to try and pull them together and say this was better than that it's, it's impossible but there was enjoyment in all yeah, the so. yeah yeah so uh, i guess for me what's coming across apart from uh, a real competitiveness inside you and a passion for the game is is that football soccer has has given you some great friendships as well and and you know you speak uh, you know people can't see your face but when you You've spoken in this interview now. You, you say it with a smile, and 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 so that must be special that you still know these groups of players from different clubs, even some of the ones from, I guess, Olympic and and the like, where you you're still good friends with them, and you can have a beer or or a drink and catch up. So that must remain pretty well, special well, with you. Well, one of the big things about um, sport. I mean, I've got friends all over the world. I mean, my daughter and her husband. They went over to England for ten years ago, or something, and they stayed with Jeff Ainsworth. You know, um, Clive Campbell, who played in the f- scored two goals in the first ever Wolves game. Um, his son and his friend landed up at Madore in Balgowney one day and said, uh, "I'm Jeff Campbell. This is Blair Schooler." Said, uh, "Can we stay with you?" Yeah, you know, and they were there for two weeks, and it was a ball. They they were brilliant kids. Now my son, he's he's thirty two. He's going to New Zealand at Christmas, and uh, he's emailed Clive Campbell, and he's going to stay there. You know, th- this is this is the football world, and uh, it's 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 really good. And I mean, I can't say anything bad about the sport. I can, you know, I can say there's been times that I've been unhappy, and you know, but. 
It's a great sport. We, um, you finish up with Kemble at the end of the 2003 season, and, and I guess the less we say about um, that incident, I think it was in the papers at the time, but um, my reading of it, and, and I won't get you to say too much, but um, something wrong happened. You uh, spoke up about it. Um, the committee tried to uh, sort of say it didn't happen or put circumstances there and then you moved on and, and again you, like you did at the Wolves, stuck to your guns and stuck to your principles about having good people in at a club and that you're the decision maker and um, so you moved on. You did then come back in, in 2005 after having a year off to, to help the club out so I guess it shows a, a lot about yourself that you could still come back to the club and help them out and, and maybe says a bit about them as well that you know, they still thought highly of you. The Portuguese are very, very good people and they love their sport, they love their football and uh, can't really say much more than that. I enjoyed my time there. And uh, I've got a lot of friends out, out of the Portuguese community as well through that. Yeah, it's sad that they're, they're not around anymore. Very sad, very sad. That, that was one of the... When I heard that their ground had gone, I mean, that was just... I felt really, really bad for for them. It's a very sad, sad moment for Illawarra football. I thought. Yeah, we lose we lose a bit of colour when we lose different clubs, um, whether it be Lysarts, yeah. Kimbler, and the like. So it's 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 a real, I think, a loss when when clubs do we lose them. So we talk about grounds before we get on to you uh, going out to Port Kimbler in 2006. We talk about grounds. Um, you had a lot of good times there at Brandon Park and. I guess times move on and, and governments make decisions, but you must have felt um, slightly sad about Brandon Park. Um, you didn't just have Wolves there on the outer ground. Wollongong Olympic played there as well. So um, what were your thoughts there? When I don't feel it? sad. I feel absolutely cheated by the people that um, uh, are at fault for that. Uh, it, it breaks my heart um, driving along the highway and seeing the Brandon Park grandstand um, out at Victory and this is no uh, nothing against collegians collegians have done everything in the right manner I wish football in Illawarra had the same um, same go as they do because that ground um, should still be there it was built for uh, sport for the Illawarra Steelers and for uh, the Wollongong Wolves and for the juniors to play there. The Illawarra Steelers didn't want it. They wanted to play at uh, Wynn Stadium because they'd built the Illawarra Steelers Licence Club. I mean, that's what it's all about. And if the Illawarra Steelers were there, the Wolves wouldn't have been thrown out. Brandon Park wouldn't have been closed. And it was their vote, or their rugby league vote, that that cost them. I'm, I'm absolutely sure and certain. And I'm sure people will say the university's um, a better use uh, than sport. And I can concur with that. But what did Illawarra football get out of that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't know where the money went or whatever, but it's a slight on Illawarra football over the last 20 years. It's the biggest, biggest thing ever. And as I say, I drive along every day past that... Uh, uh, Collegians ground, I see that Brandon Park grandstand and I think it's disgraceful, disgraceful Yeah, definitely an opportunity missed and and like you said, good luck to Collegians, they're a very well run oh, club and, my and um, you know, that I must say that as a 
Allegheny president, they sponsor us and I've got no, uh, there's no harm and foul in what they've done. They've done everything properly. No, no, they've, and, they've and, done everything and they've shown, properly and they've shown initiative. A, they've shown a true sharp initiative. organisation yeah. that took an opportunity, but yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm saying it and you're saying it from a soccer perspective that we really, uh, you know, I think a lot of us miss Brandon Park oh. and um, for many reasons and you've probably got a lot of special memories there well, as well. Well, my, my kids grew up there. I mean, they, um, they'd go there on a Sunday when I wasn't coaching, when, when they were playing there. And uh, I'd drop them off there and they'd go and meet all their friends and it was a social day out. Um, and it was keeping our sport going. And uh, since then, uh, you know, you look at all the overheads the Wolves have got at Wynn Stadium. You know what chance have they got? It's, it makes makes life extremely difficult for them. And at the end of the day, the walls are our centerpiece in in Illawarra, and we've we've got to support them and go well. And I just don't think um, I don't think soccer in general has really supported them enough over the years since that happened. Yeah, it's well. Again, we've missed out on the A League um, for various reasons, but I guess. Uh, We'll keep plugging away and, and maybe one day we'll be back there. So we go back to 2006 and um, you take over from Harry Satin and then you have, um, you know, I think uh, three or four seasons there um, before you moved on. Um, what, what, what did you think of, of Paul Kimball and your times there? Well, I'm still very, very good friends with Emilio uh, Salucci. Uh, in fact, I had a beer with him yesterday. Uh, yeah, I made some good friends there, and, and I made some some enemies there. Um, yeah, a lot of uh, yeah, it's water under the bridge now. But uh, there's a few people I'd never shake hands with again. I know that. Well, again, it says a lot about you and Emilio that you can still have a beer yesterday, and and um, you know, like you said, football things happen and it's not the first time that either you've made a decision to leave the club <laughs> no, or, or no, someone else has made that decision no, so no. Um, and then you went on to, to Wollongong United where you know we've um, I've done some rough mathematics and, and probably people out there could tell me that I'm wrong but it, it appears that you would have been up there as one of the longest serving coaches at the club I would I've got no doubt about that um, two two and nearly three years um, uh, probably one of the shortest days in my life as well, nine weeks. So uh, probably at both ends. Uh, but what I, I'm very proud of the time I had at Wollongong United. They were they were close to the bottom of the league when I went there, and um, I created stability because there was 11 players coming in, 11 players going out every year, and I tried to create a base, a stable base with five or six players, and then add every year. And we were going very well the the three or four years that I was there we made the finals every year and I don't think they'd ever made the finals in the last 10 years before that Uh, we were we were going really really well but again um, I was falling out with somebody and uh, off I went and so I guess the last two positions you had you were um, an interim coach in 2014 at Fernhill and their last few games after um, I forget who was coaching there but um, in the Premier League where you tried to help them uh, stave off relegation what did you 
I'm sure uh, there's been many other times in your career where you've had calls or expressions of interest saying, we want you, John. So um, what made you want to help Fernhill out at that point? They tried. Um, Craig Armour, Spider, had tried to sign me a few times, but I never really fancied it. And then they got six games left and they needed to avoid relegation. And I think Julio Miranda was the coach and they sacked him. And I said, uh, yeah, OK, I'll try. Um, probably a bad decision by me. It was <laughs> brilliant club, brilliant club. But um, the, the players they had at the time, they just um, they weren't up to Premier League standard. And so you had then another year off in 2015 and uh, you then uh, again, uh, sort of midway through the season, um, uh, help out Coromel Rangers who were, were pressing hard. For first Div- uh, from First Division to get up to Premier League and and you uh, won the league with them. Yeah, that, that, see, see, there's another instance and uh, I didn't bring any of those players to the club. I knew um, uh, Mark Picciolini, I'd coached him, I'd caught, coached Salve Trineski, I'd coached Mitchell Blows and very, very close to all of them. And... Uh, I was kind of press-ganged into it probably a bit by Mitchell because I'd, I'd retired and I had a, a, a chronic hip problem. I was limping around. I, could, I mean, I had to take my son there to do the training and me yell, yell out, <laughs> uh, which is, is quite easy for me because I've got a loud voice. And um, But I had a thoroughly enjoyable year there. The players were, were excellent and um, we we had a, had a good year and we... We we won it, so that that was really good. Unfortunately, again, uh, we lost the grand final. But I look back, and probably a lot of these grand finals are afterthoughts, as far as I'm concerned. And yep. uh, yeah, maybe it's, they shouldn't be, but that that's just the the way we are. Got promoted to the Premier League, and probably as you get older, it gets it gets harder to tell players there. Um, they're not needed and I had to make some very very tough decisions and tell players that they weren't needed and who'd been good club men and good players and good people and uh, I think as I'm getting older I'm finding it a lot harder to do that now because I know how much it means to a lot of people and you know they might say it's only park soccer it's social soccer whatever they want to call it but uh, it's still competing every weekend and they want to do their best and uh, yeah, that, that was. I, I had to really make some hard decisions at the start of that last year. And then you finished up uh, part way through that that year. Yeah, we um, we ended up, I think, with seven players against Port Campbell. Um I'm not going to say <laughs> say my thoughts on it, but uh, and you thought, well, I'd retired before, and now. Yeah, I, I spoke spoke to the the president and I said look you're not going to go anywhere with me at the moment because the way things are going and uh, the players were putting in 100% um, they were getting hammered and uh, I thought yeah I don't need this so you're officially out of the game but I guess you must be very proud of um your playing career and, and your coaching career and, and like you said uh, probably something that's come through in this interview is the friendships that yourself and your family have 
have gained um, being part of the, the the soccer community in the Aurora over you know over twenty to thirty years. Look, it, maybe forty. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it, it's a great sport and um, football all over the world just um, creates partnerships and friends and uh, bonds that that last for a lifetime. I can remember saying. Uh, to the Kembla Warra side, I said, uh, when when they finished first that year, I said, um, you'll be friends for life over this. I said, I guarantee you. I said, no matter where you are in the world, you know you'll have friends there. And uh, I can remember one of the players saying, why do you reckon that? I said, you just wait and see. When you get in a winning team and it's done something... Uh, really successful and had a great year uh, you've got friends for life in that team and and that's part of the playing as well the team bonding that you make and and it was the same at the Wolves um, I mean I see Robbie Giraldi frequently but Warry Young I don't see very often but as soon as we see each other we're back back to normal so the if there was a time in your career uh, let's talk about playing first, where we, where you could now go. Geez, I was playing at my best, and and I really was at the best at as a footballer. When when would that be? Oh, probably two times. Um, Seventy two. Yeah, I was I was sensational at that, at that stage. I was really really going well. In fact, um, Leeds United, who were the best team in the world, um, they they uh, made a bid for me, and um, I didn't I didn't get get sold. The manager wouldn't let me go, and wanted more money, which they weren't prepared to pay. Um, and then probably seventy five, seventy six um, at Lincoln. Yeah, that was that was another one of those those. Those guys are my friends for life. You know, we had such a successful year and such a bond. Um, you know, you get some clubs, you get, you know, you, you can tell a club in, in the warm-up, there's four people over there, there's four people over there. They're all in their different little groups and you can tell a real club when they're all together. And uh, we were like that at uh, Lincoln and um, I think we were like that at the Wolves as well. And... Uh, they're probably, you know, some of the other clubs had little bits and parts of it, but those two clubs, oh, and Ferry Meadow, those three clubs, just, they had it all the time. They were they were a one united front. And with coaching, you've had a lot of special memories and we've talked about it, but when you do think about your coaching, is there particular games that come to mind or a year where you just say, that's your first thought when you think about it? That you go, yeah, I remember that, and, and just that's sort of a, a one that peps you up sometimes when you when you're no, feeling not, bad or or whatnot or not really. It's um, I mean I, I can remember playing for the Cabbage Tree at fifty two, <laughs> and and you know that meant the world for me to win games with that. And you know I, I can remember Mike Hollifield saying to me why are you playing at this level? And I said, because I'm 52 and it's my level and I enjoy it. And all the players I'm playing with, they enjoy it the same way. And 
that's what football does for you. You're playing with people that enjoy the same sport that you do, and some people treat it differently. I always wanted to compete. That was, I'm still competitive um, in whatever. If it's trivia, I'm competitive, and I can't help it. And I know I've passed that on to my son and daughter, and I know my granddaughter's more competitive than me. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's good. When you look back at at your career, do you, and you're not involved now, uh, like you said, you've mellowed a bit, and uh, you still obviously watch watch football. So um, maybe not the local league, but you still have a passion for watching and enjoying the game? Oh, yeah, yeah. We um, went to um, Phuket last year when the World Cup was on um, with my partner and um, my um, my daughter and granddaughter and grandson and uh, son-in-law, Aaron Davis, who used yeah. to play for Bell County. And uh, we watched all the England games there, you know, and Aaron's Australian... <laughs> But uh, he had to don an Eng- English shirt. <laughs> he was sitting with me and Laura, so yeah, it was it was great, and um, it, it's family, and uh, we love football. Very sporting family. My son plays cricket. Um, I love cricket. Uh, my daughter could tell you anything about football or anything about cricket. You know, it's it's the way we've we've been brought up. Well, I think on that note, and, and talking. Uh glowingly about your family will end the interview and I thank you for your time John it's been greatly appreciated Welcome Travis, thanks very much Well there is another episode finished and I thank you the listener for supporting my little podcast on Illawarra soccer slash football until next time, bye for now (laughs) 